here in Indianapolis. I guess, technically, we're all here. Everyone from their own perspective is here. But I'm here near the Washington Wizards, who are leaving the arena in Indianapolis after a close loss, 109-101, to the Pacers, who took a 25-point lead, kind of a 26-point lead. For a minute there. Yeah, took a 25-point lead, which turned into a one-point lead. The Wizards couldn't get over the hump. Stop me if you've heard that story before. I'm Fred Katz. I'm the host of Wizards After Dark, and I cover the Wizards for The Athletic, and I'm here with Scott Agnes, who covers the Pacers for The Athletic. How I do. You doing? I'm good, Fred. Welcome to town. Thank you. This was, this was a fun game for 17 minutes. Yeah, I was going to say, it wasn't much of a game <laughs> until those last 17 minutes or but so. Actually, Up until that point, I was like, eh. But it was, it was kind of only a bad game for, like, nine minutes, because with, with about four minutes left... In the first half, mm-hmm. the Wizards were winning. Yeah. They were up 50 to 49. Then the Pacers went on some absurd run, 39 to 12, 38 to 12, whatever it was. They took an 87 to 62 lead. And then the Wizards put Sam Decker in. <laughs> and they can't give up a point, and they can't miss, and they're like outscoring opponents 19 nothing on the season for the first, whatever it is, six minutes with Sam Decker in the game. Um,. Quick quick numbers on this game, by the way. Uh, Bradley Beal had 30. John Wall didn't play because of bone spurs in his left heel. Uh, his status for the future is kind of uncertain right now. Victor Oladipo didn't play for the Pacers. He's missed uh, the last however many games for them. Miles Turner just dominated. He had 26-12, five blocks. Felt like more blocks. Tons of shots altered. Darren Collison had 17 assists. At some point, I have to ask you why Darren Carlson doesn't take more threes. He hasn't been shooting them all. That's what it is. He's but been he's all, still at he's, 36. Right, three, but right? the last three years he had been over 40%, and he led the league in three-point percentage last year. I know. His teammate Boyan does it this year, a former Wizard. Yeah. Man, Boyan was good tonight, 22. Underrated, Boyan Bogdanovich mm-hmm. is the second-leading scorer on, like, a legitimately good team. Uh, what are we going to do first? The run? It's a Wizards yeah, podcast. Let's, absolutely. let's go with the run. Let's start with something positive because Wizards fans are all bitter these days. So let's go Let's go with something positive. All right, so the Wizards go on whatever this one is, a 19 0 run. 19 zip. They, they eventually cut it to one. It was 98 It reminded me of a game, I assume you're not just sitting at home watching Wizards Magic games in Orlando. I'm not. The Wizards fell down 27 points in Orlando. They come roaring back in the fourth quarter behind a run led by John Wall. They cut it to one, and they can't get over the hump, and they lose in Orlando. I think it was one one hundred eight or one eighteen to one hundred seven or something like that. One seventeen, one hundred eight. Lost by nine, I guess it was. And this time they lose by eight. It was so similar in terms of the tropes of the game. I don't know if there's something psychological about like getting it down to one and just not being able to get over the hump, but it's just like a thing the Wizards have done a bunch this year, but they've gotten down huge and they get back to just where they're pushing the edge and they just can't get over it. From my experience in seeing that with teams specifically, obviously the Pacers, is that it takes so much energy and so much effort to get back that maybe to that point at the very end, you just don't have enough to go over that hump and and something that's really plagued the Pacers for two, three years now is usually they fall behind and go through that a little bit and sometimes don't have enough. But they also, on the other side of that, have the tendency to get up big. And so we've seen this storyline so many times where if they get up by double digits, 20 even, there's a chance that the other team will come back and at least make it a fight. And ultimately how I saw it specifically was that the Pacers 
kept turning it over. I mean, 12 turnovers to 11 points during that stretch. You, that You're not going to be able generally to, what, turn it over 24 times. That's one off their season high and still win an NBA game. I don't care who you're playing. That's crazy. That's so many turnovers. I mean, part of that was sloppiness on the Pacers, no question. Yeah. I thought the Wizards' defense was good tonight, though. Like, I thought it was legitimately good. They, during that stretch, that 39-12 run, it was awful. And Scott Brooks even said after the game, I asked him about it, and he talked about all the pick-and-roll mistakes they made. What bothered me, Fred, about that was their effort sometimes. I think yeah. it was a play right before halftime. Collison got the steal. He ran down the four and scored a layup. One defender made it across half court. Four pacers, one defender. And the others, it's not like they weren't even trying. They were standing there, hands on hips, like they had conceded it. And it was, what, like a two-point game at that point. Mm-hmm. That that was striking to me. And uh, you see this every game. Welcome but I was to like, the Wizards season. Yeah, like that would be concerning if I'm Scott Brooks. More than the loss is the situational plays like that where the guys just gave up on it a little bit. Yeah, they get down. And I didn't think the effort was, like, consistently awful tonight. Like, we've seen worse effort games from them. Every once in a while, it's just going to go down. Uh, But, like, I thought during the end, the biggest change during the run wasn't necessarily the effort. It was the actual smart play. Like, they weren't playing smart defensively early. They They were switching, I think, unnecessarily a really good amount. Uh, they were getting beat defensively, bad pick-and-roll coverage uh, in terms of just their communication, the decisions they were making, all that kind of stuff. Bradley Beal, especially during that run, started playing really good defense. He was fighting through screens, and I think more importantly, like they were doing the right things on screens. They wanted to go under Corey Joseph's screens. They were doing it right. They were, they were executing it the right way. And I think more important than the actual coverage that you play in an NBA game is that you just execute whatever you're executing the right way and you execute it hard. And they were doing that. You know, guys are Kelly Oubre is chasing somebody off a screen, chasing Bogdanovich off a screen. And, like, he is fighting hard through that screen and going over that screen like they want to. And, like, that's more important because then all of a sudden, if you just fight through hard in the right way, like, then you don't have Marquise Morris on the back end having to make up for your mistake. And then Morris is out of position. Then you have... You know, Austin Rivers on the weak side having to make up for Morris, and you get this, you know, that would say defense is played on a string. And when you do that, you don't have to do that. And I kind of thought that was why they were able – Pacers missed some open shots during that string too, don't get me wrong. But I kind of thought that was why they were able to lock down. Yeah, 10 straight misses, there. 12 turnovers, but you're absolutely right in all that. What was striking to me too about the Wizards, obviously I'm sure your fans noticed, but undermanned. And you look down, mm-hmm. Bradley Beal playing 44 minutes in a December game. Not ideal. Yeah, he's had <laughs> but a lot he's gonna of have to. Yeah. Yeah, he's had a lot. So tonight, they came into tonight with ten players. They left with nine. So Otto Porter goes down in the first quarter with what the wizard the wizard said was a, a knee contusion. He didn't return to the game. He left the locker room after the game and was like limping, noticeably limping mm-hmm. out of the locker room. Uh, I asked him how you doing. As he walked by, he said, I and that was the entire I. Otto Porter postgame <laughs> session. That was it. So we know Otto Porter's eye as he wimped, as he wimped by, limped by. Um, yeah, they came in with 10 guys because of Carl White and Troy Brown Jr. were in the G League. By the way, like, so John Wall leaves, what day is it, Monday? John Wall leaves Saturday's game because of bone spurs in the third quarter. He doesn't come back in. He doesn't practice on Sunday. He doesn't go through shoot around this morning. And he doesn't play. Okay, that's fine. I was just surprised that considering Dwight Howard's obviously already out, they only have 14 guys on the roster. 
I was surprised that they still, they had time. It's not like this John Wall thing caught them by surprise. He got hurt this morning. There was nobody here. He got hurt two days ago. They had time to bring out Troy Brown, bring out, um, you know, Carl White. And those are guys who don't necessarily play. So I understand why they didn't. But I was surprised, given that they only had 10 guys who were able to actually suit up for this game. They didn't bring one of those guys with them. Then Otto Porter goes down. Marquise Morris has three fouls in the first quarter. Sadoransky has two in the first quarter. I was surprised Decker didn't end up getting into the game until the third. I mean, you had eight guys who really played. I mean, Porter didn't play. Thomas Bryan played 19 minutes. You had Sadoransky at 20, 28 minutes and Beal at 44 and Rivers at 35 and Ubre at 37 and Green at 30 doing the, the bulk of the work. And it was just like... It, you're forced into a weird rotational night. That's the whole point of having a G League team, in part, is the development factor and also standby. So, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised as well. I mean, I'll often see the Pacers bring a guy up. Now, for them, it's like an hour-and-a-half drive, hour-and-45-minute drive to get a guy. And for them not to do it and from the Wizards' sake, I would think you do just on emergency. Even if they don't play, you need that availability for fouls or like we saw tonight where Porter got hurt. Right, right. It was uh, like... I don't think it's worth knocking anyone for because it's not like Troy Brown's going to – Troy Brown hasn't played all year. Carl White is, their, you know, their, their last guy on the bench. It's not like somebody coming up, you know, two, if you choose a two-way player, Jordan McRae or Devin Robinson. Like, those guys are two-way guys. It's not like you expect, oh, well, this was their opportunity and they would have come in, they would have had 18, they would have won the game then. I don't, that's not fair. Like, Sam Decker didn't even get in until it was – what they thought was garbage time. So, like, those guys probably wouldn't have played anyway if Decker wasn't going It was to. a 26-point margin until yeah. when he entered, and then it was 25. Yeah. They quickly changed the Tyreek Evans 3, I think, to a 2. The Wizards were so hot that they were changing retroactive <laughs> Pacers baskets. That's how hot. It was really a 19-negative-1 run, yeah. as somebody on Twitter pointed out to me. i got to ask you about this. Wizards fan may have heard it on the TV broadcast, but all game long, yeah, the two not. Pacers fan sections, these are... Free tickets given to player sections. One's Miles Turner, and I forget who even the other one was. It's the original Area 55, which was Roy Hibbert's, which is, <laughs> seems like forever ago. But anyway, during every free throw for the Wizards, didn't matter who it was, they were they were uh, at the line chanting, John Wall hates you. And I was curious, I was asking you before we recorded this, did anybody go off in the locker room, and maybe should they have? Should one player have stood up for the team, even if he doesn't? feel that way and said, hey, look, that's our guy. That was complete disrespect. Part of me likes it when the other teams provide something like that, provide some humor, but at the same time, it absolutely is disrespectful. Yeah, so so some guys were having the conversation about it in the locker room. I don't want to say who they were just because they were like doing it off the side and I heard them. But there were guys who were having conversation about it in the locker room. They weren't like going off. They were more like talking about how they thought it was lame. Um, The Cleveland fans were doing it the other night. Uh, And they were talking about how basically... And you know what? I actually agree with this point. I think it's a good point. If you do it once, it's like, okay, that's cool. That makes sense. But when you do it every single time for every player, it just becomes... I got tired of it personally in the second half. Yeah. I thought it was kind of funny, kind of cute for the first half. But then, all right, what else you got? Exactly. Think of one other thing. It's It's like the person who always comes back to an insult with... Your mother, you know, and it's sure. like okay, that's funny. There's yeah. one of one, my my favorite Russell Westbrook moment in my time covering the Thunder was when Patrick Beverly was complaining or was trash talking or something, and Russ just kind of hovered over him, literally didn't say anything, 
while he was just like making this really intense face for a few seconds yeah. and then he just said your mother and I was like that's great but if that was Russell Westbrook's response to every single time someone trash talked to him it would be like not funny guy yeah <laughs> it's like oh did you say that every time mm-hmm. so I think it's kind of it's, it, it's good the first time when Cleveland did it yeah played out and Wizards are hearing it every single game then or multiple yeah. well, games well now they are now it feels like they're gonna hear it Let's is see. this a thing yeah, maybe it's a thing now. Maybe it's a thing now. Is it a thing? I don't know. I maybe. couldn't see from my vantage point. Is John Wall on the bench? John Wall was, was on the bench. Here? So he was here. In all. He was here the whole time. Can you so imagine John Wall? John Wall was wearing his. He was wearing his warmups like he was just okay. a player coming off the bench. I couldn't see. But I was, was opposite active. corner, so I couldn't see, but I could really hear it because I was sitting amongst or near those fans. Mm-hmm. They loved it. They loved the Twitter reaction from it. They were all yeah, for it. They were chanting it the whole game. I wonder. It's not a thing now because it's been two games. But if it happens... One more it is. One more it's a thing. Right now Three's a crowd, three's, three's, a, three's a thing. <laughs> three's a crowd comes to three's a thing. Yeah, if it's one... Well, let's see. So they go home after this, they have Boston at home. Maybe then, Dolce. <laughs> <laughs> That'd then, be the ultimate. Then after that, they're on the road in Brooklyn. Brooklyn fans aren't going to do that. They're Brooklyn fans. No. Brooklyn fans is an oxymoron. There are no Brooklyn fans. <laughs> I'm from New York. And have tons of friends from childhood who are NBA fans. And I don't know one Nets fan. I don't either. I don't know one. Do they exist? No, of course they do. No, they don't. (laughs) They absolutely don't. Is it like the Clippers thing where if you can't get Lakers tickets, you go to the Clippers game? I grew up a Clippers fan. So So did Paul George. (laughs) Paul, Paul George, over time quietly became less and less of a Clippers fan when he was growing up. It's like when he first came into the league, he was like, I, yeah, I was I was a Clippers fan. And then it was like, I was a Clippers fan, but I was also a Kobe fan. He always, and then, from my experience, he always said that part. Really? I was always a Clippers fan. Speaking of Paul, I was a Clippers fan, but I admired Kobe. I wanted to be Kobe. Now, he always, he preferred the underdog mentality, he says, and didn't want to root with everyone else, so that's why he went with the Clippers back when they were nothing. Hey, Stay with the but he softened that blow and then didn't take a meeting, and that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> but that is something us in Indiana just don't quite understand. Let's uh, let's talk Miles Turner. Miles Turner just killed him. Oh my god! Perhaps gosh. his best game of his career. They just the trouble him. in saying that is what kind of meaning is a game like this in the grand scheme of things. But numbers wise, easily one of his best ever. Man, yeah, he just like he he killed him tonight. So so Turner had twenty six. Points, 12 boards, five blocks, all in the first half. Felt like he had more than five blocks, honestly. That's what he said. He came in the locker room, looked at the stat sheet, and was pissed. And I explained to him, I, I was texting the statistician. I go, what's up with that? And the statistician was saying one of the blocks was taken away at halftime. They, uh, they ultimately said it. Uh, we don't need to get too much into it, but he was credited with a rebound instead of a block because the ball was resting on Thomas Bryant's hand. So it was not a tip out to Thad Young. On the block, apparently. But, yeah, he, he was upset about that as well because at that point he was tracking his, his blocks a little bit because he's reached five a couple times now in the last week, I want to say, and six is his career high. So when this game was really a game of runs, but when the Pacers go on that mini run to take, I think it was a nine-point lead at the half, Turner has this stretch of three out of four plays, I think it was, where he, he blocks a shot. And the very next possession after he gets his third block in four plays – Bradley Beal hoists up like a 26-foot uncomfortable three where you get the impression of just like Turner has destroyed around the rim. Not again. I'm not going yeah. near there. I'm putting it up from here. 
and he airballs it. Uh, one or two possessions later, it was the last possession of the half. Beal goes to the rim. He gets under the rim. About a second left on the shot clock, seven left on the game cock or clock or whatever it was. And Turner is there, and Beal kicks to the corner to Jeff Green with like a second left on the shot clock. And it's like, Beal went at Turner for the most part. For the most part, he didn't get away from it. But that's what happens when you have just a big dude who's swatting shots. Like, he it transfers to ensuing possessions. Like, that kind of stuff happens. He's going to alter thought process. And I asked Beal about it after the game. And he said, like, it didn't change at all. You got to keep going at him. And for the most part, Beal did go at him. He took 27 shots, and a lot of them were around the rim. I don't think mentally you can do that, though. No. I, because I you go into it and you go, I've seen this outcome. I've seen this movie so many times. Let me try something different. Because it's just so disheartening time and time again. My, yeah, Miles is in a groove right now. And it's interesting because you look at the Pacers, they have one clear all-star in Victor Oladipo who has not played in almost a month. Um, and the Pacers are so much better if the Wizards ha- fans haven't been watching, and I'm not sure many of them would. The big storyline with the Pacers right now is that they're ha- finding success without Victor. Last year, 0-7, and seven, did not win. Right now they're 8-4 and four without him, and it's looking good that he might practice tomorrow, which suggests he might play relatively soon. So that's one key storyline that's working well for the Pacers is winning without their all-star. But in the meantime, you need more than one all-star to win or to be successful come playoffs. Sabonis is pushing that way. We saw that last game, uh, last couple games, really. He played through fruit poisoning last game. And then Miles Turner. And in total, those two play like an all-star as one. Sabonis missed his first shot of the season tonight. (laughs) It's amazing. You do remember. Historic. He he did have one perfect game this year, 12 for 12. I watched that game. I watched that game. Fouled out with 77 seconds left. It was crazy. He played, he had like, he played like in the low 20s in minutes of that game and finished with like, what do you have, 30 and 12 or something? His yeah. per, he is, first of all, he might be sixth man of the year. Uh, I know. He could push most improved player as well. He could push most improved player. He could push sixth man of the year. You think he's going to be an all-star one day? I do. I really like him, especially in the day and age where it seems like, at least right now, centers are kind of going away. He's a clear-cut center. That's the position he likes to play, prefers to play. And I, he's just – he's the thing I go to for him is his consistency. He's consistently going to rebound, and he's consistently going to score in double figures. And I think coaches – he's not going to be a starter ever, but I think coaches will reward that. He is so um, crafty, man. Like, that's a good word for him. Yep. It's and the natural instincts. Those are kind of the two things I always go back to. He is pretty much as good as anybody at like going to set a screen, realizing faster than the defender that the screen's not going to work, and then just going to screen on the other side. He's so good at recognizing that stuff. He's so good at the dribble handoff stuff. Like he's just so he's so I really enjoy watching him play. He he's so good. That little lefty hook that he has that legitimately he's never missed because he missed his first shot of the season tonight. She's 65% for the field. It's wild. He's a guy that's never going to get attention with the NBA Twitter account or by fans across. It's not flashy. Right, exactly. But everything he does is just like, yeah, that that's pure basketball. If you're just a huge basketball fan, you're going to like his game. Yeah, anything else from this game before we wrap up? Not that I can think of. I mean, to your point at the very beginning, I guess why I didn't I wasn't too excited or engaged with the game. It felt like was it I was expecting 
what eventually happened was the Pacers to pull away, maybe the Wizards to quit a little bit, and that's your game. That's all, folks. But then you had the Pacers struggle, the Wizards capitalized, and it created a situation late in the game that we ultimately had. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, plug your stuff before we finish. Yeah. Just, <laughs> I don't know. Check me out at The Athletic. Uh, I've highlighted Sabonis the last couple of days. He played through food poisoning, which sounds awful. And awesome. he's a guy that plays better sometimes through the flu and through sickness um, and things like that. But anyway, I love what we're doing at The Athletic. It's been fun, and it's good to uh, have you in town, man. Yep. Uh, Twitter account also. At Scott Agnes. Perfect. Simple as that. And read Scott's stuff. It's really good. And this is a fun team. I enjoyed your article on the officials, by the way, which was ironic if you want to point out because then we had a situation. Markeith Morris got a tech for talking to the officials. Markeith Morris tells me Mm -hmm. that he's given them the silent treatment. He has no text for talking to refs this year. Still somehow, no text for talking to refs. Still somehow fifth in the league in technical fouls because he... He just jaws with so so many opponents that year. And then a double technical with Beal and Miles Turner, Turner's first of the year. That 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 shouldn't have been a tech. I could see that getting rescinded because I don't think either player did anything nor said anything. They just like they each said like a few words to each other. It's a game. It's physical. Let it it happen. Yeah, and like they just said words to each other. They weren't even yelling. It seemed like they just kind of talked for three seconds, and that was it. That was seemed premature. That was a stupid. It, it seemed like one of those things they did to try to end something they thought was going to escalate, and then just there was clearly nothing escalated. Like they misread the situation. Yeah, that's a good point. I could see that potentially. I don't know if it's going to be rescinded, but I could see that in the case. Yeah, Keith. No one cares about referee articles, though. It's amazing. No. Yeah, that's too bad. I, I actually I wrote about Joey Crawford, and I could say the same thing. Best quote in NBA history, Joey Crawford. Crawford came through and talked. He analyzed a, a play that was controversial with the with the Pacers earlier in the season. And yeah, you're exactly right. People don't care about the officials; they just like to hate on them. Yeah, and if you think there was one guy people cared about, it's Joey Crawford because he's the most recognizable name and face. And the best thing about that conversation, in part, Fred, was the fact that he he acknowledged that he was kind of over the top with everything, with his calls, and made it too much about himself. And that was kind of the old school way in doing things, and how the officials are trying to get away from that, be less demonstrative, and they want the players to be the same way. Yeah, Joey went to anger management after the whole Tim Duncan laughing on the bench thing. And he says that changed his career and his approach to officiating a lot. He's a fascinating guy. By the way, one player that probably doesn't get much attention because sadly he's not doing much. But if there was an NBA award for best human, Yamahimi might get it. One of the nicest guys, most interesting guys, I think, in the league. At least that has come through the Pacers for me. He's a super interesting guy. Everybody likes him. Now that Jason Smith is out of the Wizards locker room, I feel like he's like the resident veteran I called Jason Smith in a story I had, I guess, this morning. Yeah. The team's click liaison. I think Jan Mahimi is kind of the team's click liaison. He's kind of team dad. He's the oh, guy, totally guy who's going to show up with the orange slices. You know? He'd be the nicest dressed while doing it. He's a great dresser. I asked him once. his own clothing line. Yeah. French deal overseas. How about this? So I, was, I like to support people. I was like, hey, Jan, how, can you have a mailer or something? I can buy something from you. He goes, you're not going to do that. I go, why not? I'm, let me see what you got. Maybe there's something. He goes, prices started about $900. I go, yep, good luck with this company. <laughs> not my uh, department here. I asked, him about, neat, I asked him about fashion once and, like, if he got into it in the NBA because every NBA player is into fashion. He's like, oh, no. When I was growing up, yep. me and my friends all were just giving each other crap. If we, if we didn't think the other one was dressed well, it was 
This is like a whole life passion project for him. Yeah, he's got a whole company. It's incredible to yeah. see. It's just a little. It's priced me out of the market. It's it's French deal, so it's obviously back there. And I think he opened up a store. He's got a couple steak and shakes back home in I France. I did not know he yeah. had steak and shakes. There's a story short, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's very last, last year he opened a couple steak and shakes. And he's doing a lot more, too, with business on the side. Jan Mahimi, steak and shake And owner. currently, he still owns the franchise record for field goal percentage from that year that got him paid, ultimately, with the Wizards. I think he, he shot something like 58% maybe in his final year with the team. So when I was a team manager at Syracuse, there was a guy who I guess was, he graduated before me, Ross Deligro. And Ross used to brag about, he was a walk-on at Syracuse. Four years, he played four years. He used to brag how he was the school's all-time leader in field goal percentage because he took one shot <laughs> his freshman year, yeah. he made it, and then he never shot again. And that was it. And he just finished his career one for one because, like, you know, walk-ons in college, he was one of those where he'd come in when they were up 32 on some horrible, you know, small conference school for the last minute, and that was it. So it didn't matter if he didn't shoot. So his whole thing was like... He'd come in, you know, they always scream at the walk-ons to shoot. So he'd come in and get the ball. Everyone would be screaming for him to shoot, and he would not do it after that. And he finished his career one for one. Now That's one way to do it. I don't understand, though, if you're, not, if you're a walk-on. What are they going to do, not play? You shoot it. <laughs> no, but he just wanted no, I to be that. the all-time leader in field goal percentage. That was it. That was his goal. Something, I guess. That was his goal. Everybody on the team loved him. The coaching staff loved him. He played hard in practice. He pushed the good guys, you know, the good guys on the team in practice, and they were like, whatever. I don't think anybody cared. He was going in. Right. It was like a thing. Hmm. But he loved it. He's so proud of it. It's such a ridiculous <laughs> thing that a that a just like a silly. First, I thought you were going with do. the called trillion thing here, where you go in, play one minute, well, that's a similar get thing. zeros. Right. Well, that's it's a similar thing. That. Yeah, it's basically the same thing. Where like Mark Titus was talking about how. Yeah, he would put up a Indiana boy, by the way, from Brownsburg, Indiana. Right. Gordon Hayward. Yeah, well, he had his AAU team, because yeah. I read his book. His AAU team was the most ridiculous team. What was it? It was Mike Conley, Eric Gordon, Daquan Cook, Josh McRoberts, Greg Oden was the starting five. Yeah. Wild. <laughs> Indiana Wild. like that, yeah. You had there were some great high school and AAU games here in town. One of the one of my favorites that I remember. A little off tangent here, but it was Eric Gordon and Derrick Rose playing together. That was fun. That's ridiculous. But yeah, that that was a dominant team there yeah. for a while. So that starting five had four lottery, five first round picks. Yeah, Dick Wonko was a first round pick, right? Like a so. late first, and four of them lottery picks. Yeah, I think Joshua Roberts was the end of the lottery. Sounds right. If he's not. I don't care. I'm not going to fact check it. Some listener can fact check. I don't care if I'm wrong. I just couldn't care less about being wrong about that. Uh, before we wrap up, wrap up, if you're just randomly listening to this and you're not a subscriber, you can subscribe to Wizards After Dark on iTunes. You can give us five stars. Even if you hate it, you can still give us five stars. And uh, you can leave a review there on iTunes because that stuff really helps. And it's awesome, and I really appreciate it when you do. Uh, the Wizards play next against the Boston Celtics in Washington in this, like, treacherous month of December where their only home games are, like, one-offs. So they're going home for one and then back on the road for Brooklyn and then home for one and then back on the road for Atlanta and Houston and then home for one then back on the road for Indiana. Sounds like Utah's awful schedule to start the year. Yeah. They have one game. They didn't play a game in the same city for a month. It was ridiculous. That's crazy. That's that's basically what the Wizards have now. They're not in D.C. 
for three consecutive days mm. uh, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So it's essentially a road trip. If you treat, I mean, yeah. by the time you come home, unpack, do laundry, and pack again, it's still the same road trip. No time to let the laundry dry. <laughs> you just have True. no time for anything. Um, anyway, I'll be back on what day is it? It's Monday. Monday. So I'll be back on Wednesday after they play the Celtics, and uh, I'll talk to you guys then.